Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. And I am Brad. There's Brad. Uh, uh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you will. Uh, give us some uh, engaging feedback. Tell us what you like in the video. If you agree with us and our opinions on these two so two so-called films we're discussing today. Uh, I'm excited for this one, man. It feels like we got a nice ba- matchup. Yeah, this one ended up uh, being a surprisingly good pairing, uh, which we've been knocking these random pairings out of the park lately with them just happening to be like a lot better than we expect. You know, when a new film comes out, we always go, you know what, man, because this film is going out, let's do this versus this. If it Mm. works out, it doesn't. If it doesn't work out, then we'll have a very interesting, funny podcast. And we just it just ends up working out. Yeah, so for this one, we are doing the film Ray, uh, based on uh, Ray Charles Robinson uh, from 2004, going up against Elvis, based on the story of Elvis Presley that just came out this past weekend, or was it last yeah, week? this past weekend. This yeah. past weekend, okay. Um, you want to go chronological? Uh, yeah, let's go chronological with this one. All right, it makes sense. Uh, I'll take the baton on Ray, and you do, and you uh, introduce us the plot of Elvis. Sounds good. I mean, I ain't got much to say here. I mean, uh, Ray is basically a film from uh, 2004, directed by Taylor Hackford, with uh, Jamie Foxx in the lead title role, uh, playing Ray Charles. Ray Charles is a uh, a blind um, blues music, blind rhythm and blues musician, uh, rather than you know just saying R and B, but actually rhythm and blues musician. Um, very famous, very influential musician. Um, again, he is blind, and uh, he's very exceptional in his uh, piano and vocal talents. And this film basically follows him from um, childhood to, um, uh, I, I want to say, to his his to, to like middle age, and then it cuts to later age a little bit in the, in the epilogue. But it basically follows him from like childhood to the rise of his career, the downfall, and then the and then the return back, the the, the rise again in the end. Um, so basically, Ray, it starts off with him as a kid with his little brother. Um, you know, they very, they live in a very poor part of, uh, of the South. Um, Ray goes through a traumatic event with his brother uh, uh, dying in a uh, in a drowning, and uh, because and he, he he lives with guilt of not being able to not saving him in the moment. Um, yeah, it's important and, to note that he drowned in a wash bin because uh, it's a yeah. major thing that comes up. up bunch of times in the movie where he has flashbacks to that moment and because he's blind he has these moments where he believes that he's reliving the moment because he can feel the water around him he can hear the water and he can hear the wash bin then feel his you know brother's dead body so it, it really haunts him and it's something that plays throughout the entire movie in different parts of his life as he's constantly being haunted by the trauma that that caused yeah yeah and um, well, basically, uh, something happens to Ray as he grows up, and he 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 basically goes blind. Um, yes. And you know his his mother, who is a very uh, very tough on nails mother, but she gives him great tough love to make him tough in the world. Uh, she basically tells him like, listen, the first two times I'll I'll show you how to do things and I'll guide you, but the rest you're going to have to figure out on your own. This world ain't going to take pity on you because you're blind. And that really molds him into the tough man he is in present day as we follow him you know uh trying to get trying trying to get his um 
his hustle on as a musician. He starts off with a country club, then he moves on to a, um, a jazz club, or a, a traveling jazz band that kind of cheats him. And we just basically follow him through his ups and downs to the point where he becomes a signed recording artist. And mm-hmm. he starts making, you know, all the classic hits we know today, Hit the Road, Jack, uh, uh, Baby, It's All Right, you know, all these classic hits you know. Um, even if you don't know Ray Charles, you lo- you watch this movie and you hear some songs, you go, oh, man, he made that song? Um, yeah, you might not know the artist, but you definitely know the songs that, you know, made him famous. Yeah, and it basically follows him through the pitfalls of uh, his career and his life. You know, he, he gets married, falls in love, he commits infidelity, uh, outside children, drugs, um, recording, I mean, contract disputes uh fallout with friends because of business uh because business fallout with friends and it just follows them through up, ups and downs man i just gotta say dude uh dude hands down this is one of my favorite movies dude i i've i saw this movie opening day when it came out with my grandma and i didn't know much about ray charles but when i saw it i was like i knew jamie fox as the funny guy mm. by this point you know, he hadn't really taken a huge serious role by this point. And if he did, it was like like not as important. This film got him an Oscar. Uh and well deserved. Oh, I mean yeah. he he nails it. Uh but before I go into why I love this film, this is your first time watching this? Uh for this one, I had actually seen this. I didn't remember that I had seen it, but okay. as I was watching it, I was coming back and going, Oh yeah, this is one of those movies that people kept going because uh he Ray Charles died uh, just before the premiere of this movie, which gave it this yeah. huge boost of like people going, oh, my God, it's a movie about him. He almost made it to the premiere of it before he died. So there was this huge interest in this movie. And that's when I saw it. And I remember seeing it in like the dollar theater. I didn't see it like opening mm. night or anything like that. It was one of those, you know, dollar movie theaters in the bowling alley kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing this movie after watching it. I was like, I remember this part. I remember this part. Either I'm remembering this movie from the trailers from so long ago, or I've seen this movie. And as it kept going, I was like, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's a memorable. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't remember it that much because it's such a memorable film to me. Like, uh, I saw this film and I just couldn't wait for it to come out on DVD. You know, my mom bought it on DVD. And then her and I watched it for the first time together, and she loved it. Uh, this film was just such a great... It was a great black film, but it was a great film in general. Like, when you look at the the talent behind this, man, you got Jamie, Kerry Washington, Regina King, Clifton Powell, Harry Lennox, Terrence Howard, Lorenz Tate. I can go on and on. Anjanae mm-hmm. Ellis from King Richard. It's just, it's just so much great acting power in this movie. Yeah, it, it's nonstop with it, and it does a great way of telling the story of Ray Charles because mm-hmm. it starts off with his childhood. It slowly goes up to when he's starting out, and you get these little flash-ins of his childhood and him going blind and him kind of overcoming it. Uh, like one of the scenes when he's a kid, and it's, I want to say, like almost directly after he's gone fully blind and he's kind of wandering the house and mm-hmm. he's using like 
he feels the heat of the chimney and stuff like that. He uses that, yeah, as his way of getting there, and then he knows it's too hot, so he has to stop there, and he finds, like, the brick, and he starts walking around the brick and everything. So he didn't start off blind. They actually go pretty good into detail of, like, him kind of starting to go blind with him having, like, the blurred vision, and then he'd, like, look over, and he has perfect vision, and then it's back to blurred and then there's certain things that he can see extremely clearly, and then things that are just out, and he's doing this, like, salve or something on his eyes to try and help him, and it's not working, it's actually hurting him, and, you know, I don't know if it was ever something that was found out, like, that advanced it or anything like that, but the movie kind of alludes to that. Um, I, I, I'm sure you can look it up, but I, I don't know if it's mentioned in the film, like what happened. It's kind of uh, alluded in the film with those scenes and everything right. where that made his condition worse instead of helping it. But I don't yeah. know if it was meant to be like the actual solution was making it worse or his blindness just was so far gone that nothing could have helped him at that point. Yeah, man. I gotta say, dude, the flashback scenes, like... This overall is a great film, but there are so many chilling moments from his flashbacks that, uh, look, man, there's only been three movies that have uh, brought me to the point of chopping onions and, you know, tears fall down from my eyes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ron's Gone Wrong, uh, an Emilio Estevez film called Bobby, and this, dude, like, at the funeral with his little brother, and the mother just falls out, and you see him just standing there, like, you see... The little child actor was great, man, because you see guilt oh, on his face and you see him crying. It's like, oh, man, that's such a that's such a sad scene. And then when he's going blind and he's shaking the thing in the rain, the little uh, instrument he has, like because he doesn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he can't see anything. He's just stuck on the porch and it's raining. And he can't see and he's just shaking his tambourine. I'm like, oh, man, that's so that's horrible. Yeah, they do. One thing that this movie did that kind of did bother me a little bit was they made his hearing ability almost come off as a superpower with certain scenes, like when he's in the restaurant and everything like that and talking to one girl. I'm like, I can't remember what he said to her, but she was like, wow, you can tell from that. And he's like, yeah, I can even hear the hummingbird outside. And then it does this weird pan zoom to this hummingbird outside. It's like, no you come on movie this really, isn't what you're supposed to be going for i really think he was he was i really think he was just spitting game to her but uh i mean like you i i feel like you can't hear animals outside if you really pay close attention and listen like that is a thing like when you put all your energy into your ears you can't hear things that you wouldn't mostly hear when you're just using your eyes so to speak you know what right, I mean? but to be able to go, oh yeah, it's a hummingbird that's out there. You know, you might hear something outside, but to be able to go, yeah, there's a hummingbird just outside the window. It's like, calm down, Daredevil. You're in the wrong universe here. All right, folks, we we've come back to the Brad nitpicking part of the uh, <laughs> of the show. Come on, man. Come I don't on, think it man. was nitpicking. It's just one of those things that just it came out of nowhere in the movie. I was like, uh, what I, the hell is this? And then it goes back to being normal after that. I was like, okay, well, that was odd. Well, I think it, it really speaks to the kind of character they're presenting Ray as, as someone that really was exceptional. You know, okay. uh, yeah. some, someone who, um, as far as mainstream music goes, uh, the only person comparable in, in, in talent is Stevie Wonder. 
who's also mm. blind and, and just a terrific musician. You know, I think they were like speaking more to like how he used everything else he had outside of his eyes to just be a brilliant, uh, talented genius. Um, yeah. But as we know, with genius also comes, you know, lack of qualities uh, in, in other uh, parts of character, meaning that uh, they don't really pull any punches on how Ray is like a complete a-hole to his wife in his, well, like the height has, of his career. Yeah. He yeah. basically has affairs left and right with every person he meets that has a voice. Well, not every woman, but every woman who <laughs> he grabs his wrist he grabs the wrist and you know he goes, "Oh, hello," you know, and uh, that 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 was a deciding factor. Um, but you know what I love, dude? Uh, oh, man, what was I about to say, dude? I love how in a role like this, well, let's talk about the infidelity part, uh, dude. I think Anjanae Ellis and Regina King, uh, they were excellent, man. As, oh, yeah. as the two women he had affairs with on the road, or the two women they centered on of him having affairs with on the road. Yeah, Regina King was Margie, right? Or Margie? Uh, I believe so. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me look it up now. Uh, Regina King, yep, she was Margie, and uh, Anjanae was Marianne. Yep, okay. Yeah, they... I want to say there wasn't anything that like felt off about any of the actors or any of the roles in this movie. I think everybody was kind of, they were on point with it. They knew exactly what the pieces they were supposed to be playing, and they knocked them out of the park. And the direction and script laid right into the actor's hands perfectly to make everything fall seamless. It's one of those rare instances where people fell into their roles, and they fell into the roles in the right way. Definitely. I love how this is the perfect, this was the perfect role to take Jamie Foxx from, um, comedian turned actor to um straight up actor mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like like take him into the upper echelon of like okay this guy is actually a pretty great actor like let's give him more serious roles um because it, it has the it has the perfect balance of drama and comedy like like if you know how while he was making this film he actually spoke with and did like little piano rehearsals with ray charles jamie fox already knew how to play piano but playing piano as if he's blind. You know what I'm saying? Like, he would actually sit down with Ray Charles and, and practice his mannerisms and stuff like that. He took this role serious. Yeah, and, he, uh, he apparently got really close with Ray Charles during the production of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's uh, it, it shows his dedication. And, um, you know, another part of that is, Again, he he knew how to balance the humor with the drama. I'd say up until this point, he had a lot of roles that they were dramatic, but he leaned into his humor more than the drama. Like his, he has a great role in Ali, um, mm. where he kind of leaned into the humor a bit more. But it was a great role. Uh, whereas something like this, he leaned more into the drama, but still kept that humor, that humorous side. You know what I mean? You're, right. It- there are jokes in this movie and stuff like when uh, he comes up to the bus driver and he's like refusing him service. He's like, well, you know, I lost my eyes, you know, in fighting for this country and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry for that. And the bus driver, you know what? I'll I'll make sure you get where you're going personally. You know, it, it right. just, then he starts that, smiling. Right. Uh, when the one person's counting out the money and he's, you know, Counting out one dollar bills. Here's five, ten, fifteen. 
mm-hmm. you know, and little things that were people would take advantage of him, but he'd always find a way to turn the tables in some way in his favor. Yeah, like um, I, one of the most memorable jokes to me is like when he finally walks out on the first person that stood on him, the, the woman who uh, basically his rent for staying with her was just to have sex with her. Oh, was, yeah. <laughs> Where uh, she yells at him for like cooking with the lights off and he's like, what what does it change for me? I'm blind. <laughs> no, not even that scene. The scene where he's leaving and Terrence Howard goes, Ray, Ray, come on back, Ray. Come on, we 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 can we can make, we can work something out. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, you lay the pipe down now. I'm 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 out of here. You 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 have sex with her. I'm done. Uh, and then uh, the moment where he's walking away when he first meets his wife after they have their date, he says, uh, "Oh, I know where I'm going. Just uh, ten steps this way, uh, ten steps that way. Hello, I'm at such and such street. You know, like it's it's a perfect balance with this man. Yeah. Uh." Dude, I got to say, the scene where he's detoxing, that's such a harrowing sequence, man. Yeah, that's something that we didn't even touch on. His addiction to heroin. Yeah. Uh, that's something I didn't know about him. You know, really? It, when it, mm. So I completely forgot that he was addicted to heroin and everything, which kind of works also with the pair that we put this movie with because Elvis Presley also had a major drug problem. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah, that detoxing and everything like that, even the scenes where, you know, he's first introduced to it and you slowly see him become addicted to it and it starts ruining his life and even his career a little bit, uh, finally getting the detox and everything and starting to rekindle a little bit after that. But yeah, that was that was a rough scene, uh, rough in a good way, like not bad to watch right, it's right. just it, it was hard to watch yeah man and i want to take it back a little bit this, these are the this is the morals of the music industry i like how he's in the studio and you see him jake you see him shaking a bit and one of the um sound engineer dudes i i, I imagine he's probably one of the sound engineer dudes he goes man he's got that junkie itch like you cannot trust the junkie y'all got to get him out of control says yeah but he sounds great <laughs> but, yeah but the song sounds great yeah, I love that. Man. I I just shook my head, but I'm like, yeah, it probably went down like that. Like, yeah, that that's exactly how the music industry is. We don't care what you're hopped up on, as long as you keep giving us that good music that we can sell to people. Keep making me money, and I don't care what you're doing in your personal life. Yeah, and I like how the the film doesn't um, it doesn't mince words like with that. Even if he even when he gets the the great deal at ABC Records. Like he gets caught on the plane with some drugs. They go, listen, man, uh, we've we've gotten you off the hook before, but this this is a big deal now. I don't think we can get our lawyers involved, but you know, you you might need to make some changes now. They're not telling them this morally. They're telling them this like yeah. in order for you to keep making us money, so we can keep making you money, you're gonna have to play ball. Right. You had to start following our rules. We're not telling you to stop, but you need to, you know, be a little bit more discreet with it, kind of. Right. And, yeah, man, something about that is just soul-draining. You know, like, uh, nah, he's not a perfect person either, you understand? But oh, no. when you're working for people that don't have your best interest physically, but just have your best interest uh, uh, career-wise... That can be. I, I was gonna say financially, but even then, it's not. They have. They don't have his best interest at heart at mm-hmm. all. 
They have their own best interest financially. So basically, whatever is going to make them the most amount of money, that's the path they're going to follow. They could care less if it's going to lead to your death or anything. All they care about is, do they get their money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, um, I love Harry Lennox's role as Joe Adams. Um, I like how he comes in and he... You know, you notice that he causes a rift between Ray Charles and uh, and Jeff, who is Clifton Powell's character, the guy that basically was with him since the beginning when he was uh, traveling with the band, where they would count on where they, where they would count on his money and they got in a fight. You know what I'm talking about, right, mm-hmm. Jeff? Yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and I like how Jeff slowly starts to get jealous of Joe Adams. Um, and from our standpoint, we think, yeah, Joe Adams comes off a little uppity. But then we realize, no, Joe Adams is just a professional. Like he he tells his bandmates, like, "Hey man, you late today? I'm I'm docking you such dollars." Like you know, and the guy goes, "Wait a minute, we always let him get away with that." He says, "Nah, but there's there's a new uh, there's a new rule here. No no more being late." And finally, he re- he reveals uh, to Ray, or Ray lets us know that, "Hey man, I know you've been stealing money from me, so it's not like you're exactly innocent either." Mm-hmm. Man, that's just such a that's such a powerful scene between them, man. Where he, you know, he basically says to Ray, like, "Look, man, you say I broke your heart, uh, you broke mine a long time ago." And he just kind of gets mad and leaves. Yeah. I was like, man, that's that's powerful. Yeah, there's it, there's a lot of things. Uh, even the uh, Raylettes, we didn't even get into them and their whole thing with joining in as the singers for him. And his music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which, yeah, that there is so much to Ray Charles's story that this movie covers it all. Uh, this is a long movie. This movie is about two and a half hours long. It is, but it doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't feel long at all. Uh, it's the same thing with the uh, Elvis movie that we're about to talk about. It's also a two and a half hour movie, which... It's still a long movie. See, that kind of felt long, but that was just because I had to take a piss. Um, oh. <laughs> it wasn't because it wasn't because of the flow. But we'll we'll get into that one, man, dude. I, long story short, one of my favorite movies of all time. Great writing, great directing, uh, terrific acting. I I get this a five out of five. Yeah, this is an easy five out of five. The acting is on point. The script pacing and everything is on point. Every actor brings their A game to this mm-hmm. one. Uh, you know, you even have some small little roles like Warwick Davis pops in for like five minutes as the introduction of uh, Ray Charles to like a talent show when he's first getting started. Yeah. You know, like it's little things like that. Is he still puts his full A game in? Um, I don't think Warwick Davis has a B game though. I think he gives his all in everything he's in, but <laughs> at the same time, yeah, I did notice him. I don't know him for Willow. I know him for the show he has with Ricky Gervais called Life's Too Short. That's what I know him for. Uh, see, I I knew him as uh, Wicket from Star Wars, and then I knew him as the Leprechaun in the Leprechaun uh, horror movie series. I still haven't watched those, but I know they're great. They are, I don't want to say they're fantastic, but they, they have a place in my I know. Heart. I, I love I've them. heard of them. I, I, just, I just still haven't watched them yet. All right, man. Uh, but yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. It, needless to say, this movie 
is a five out of five. If you haven't seen this movie, you need to go out and see it. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, as far as I can tell, it's very accurate to the real story of Ray Charles. Uh, any inaccuracies with it are just Hollywooded kind of, you know, additions and not so much contradictions to his actual life. You know, I look, I, I take uh, biopics with a grain of salt. I mean, I, I think Aaron Sorkin said a terrific uh, quote. I'm paraphrasing when he was asked about the social network. He says, listen, man, I'm. I'm a I'm a story t- I'm a storyteller. I'm not a journalist. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm a painter. I'm not a photographer. I look at this as a painting of Ray, not a photographer, not a photog- not a photograph. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely an artist portrayal of him, but at the same time, when it comes to like the cliff notes of his mm-hmm. life, they didn't make anything up. They didn't add anything in that didn't happen. You know, it, this is a pretty mellow movie that follows the life of ray charles all right man if we're all set we can uh move on to the uh quote-unquote king uh elvis yes so releasing just this last weekend from director baz lerman uh we have the biopic about elvis uh the king of rock and roll uh basically the entire life story of elvis kind of as he's growing up in a poor neighborhood uh his father is sent to jail and he gets a very he lives in a black community where he kind of becomes a part of black culture with the way uh dance music uh even their religion and everything like that takes place let's say what happened he came into a black church started got the holy ghost started dancing and uh oh he he gained black soul (laughs) that's what happened and he gained black soul yes so basically he became uh the whitest black man in america more or less this is pre-eminem uh pre-eminem yes uh, by basically introducing like black culture and black music to white people as a white person. And this is even exemplified by, uh, you know, with, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, uh, played by Tom Hanks, amazingly, uh, who even takes him on yes, because he's a white actor. <laughs> mm-hmm. So taking him on and basically it's the entire story of Elvis going through his career and making it up top and eventually uh, going too far into the political side where he gets shot down, ends up having to enlist in the military, comes back, becomes a movie star, decides that he really doesn't want this life, goes back to doing music and the entire entanglement of his life being constructed by this one manager who's using him as his, you know, way to get out of debt. Okay. Okay. You, you done? Yes. Let me tell you something, man. When I first went to see this movie, I, I wasn't expecting a whole lot, you know, Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Romeo and Juliet, but I know him for making musicals and, uh, you know how I love musicals. 
I was surprised that uh, you weren't expecting this to be more of a musical. I, I, you know, I was expecting this to be way more of a musical. Well, kind of, it, it had musical ways. We'll get into that anyway. I was looking at this like I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this one. Uh, this movie is way better than I expected it to be, man. It was yes. way better. Uh, one thing that this movie really shines with is its cinematography use. Uh, it's a way of camera angles, pushing, you know, different uh, viewpoints and everything like that. Like seeing his uh, manager, like watching him through like the steps and the stairs. It's perfect. Um, Being able to kind of like see everything from different perspectives on the stage than just a straight shot of Elvis and everything. This film took eight cups of coffee and never let up. And I, I liked it, man. I liked it way better than I expected to, dude. Like you said, the cinematography was just on point. It, I, I love how it starts off, and um, I guess this is how you can kind of tell you're in a Baz Luhrmann film. Uh, it starts off with, you know, uh, Colonel Parker having, like, the little heart attack thing, and, you know, he starts walking around dreamlike. And then you, I think you get, like, a Star Trek billboard, and then we kind of swirl around announcement of elvis playing at a uh at a at, at a venue in a star trek fashion and we just start spinning around mm-hmm. i'm like whoa like this movie's like literally taking me for a spin and i was like i i like how over the top this is straight from the start right and then it just goes straight into uh basically more toward the end of the movie when Elvis is kind of being passing out because he's being overworked and everything like that and running into a situation where uh, he's the, the drugs uh, given. Too. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's having drug abuse. He's being overworked and everything. Uh, but he's given a shot of, I'm guessing adrenaline in order to keep going and get back on stage for this new show that he's on. And then we cut back to him growing up, being discovered by him. I kind of like that this story wasn't so much from the perspective of Elvis, but it was more from the perspective of his manager, who is very well known to have taken advantage of Elvis. Mm. You know, from start to finish of his life. Uh, It came out after Elvis had died, sadly. But by then, the damage was so known that nobody would work with this guy anymore he his career ended when elvis died Mm -hmm. not only because he lost the superstar that he had in his pocket but because everything came out about how shitty he treated elvis throughout his entire career and how he held him back basically forcing his own will on elvis in order to get as much money as he could you know i'm gonna say this man um as i was watching this film Austin Butler, who I didn't, I, I I pretty much didn't know who he was before this movie. I thought, okay, all right, they did him well on Elvis. He he has the Elvis swagger. He fits very well in this role. Um, Tom Hanks, I was like, man, Tom is kind of coming off of just just a tad over the top in this movie. But then I kind of realized that's kind of the point. Like 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 from what I heard, Tom Parker was kind of an over the top dude. Yeah, you, there's some video and stuff of him and everything like that. And yeah, he, he was very much a I need to get mine kind of person. Yeah. And everything was just something in his way to get what he was after. Uh, I, it didn't really go too much into his gambling addiction and everything, but apparently 
there were like cases where he would be out gambling while Elvis was playing and everything like mm-hmm. that at the hotel while you know he basically was accruing more debt and then forcing Elvis to play more shows in order to pay it he off. He was a married man too. Uh, I didn't know he was married. Yeah. Um, the film doesn't go into that. But hey, this is one thing where, I, again, I, the, the film doesn't hold his feet to the fire for this. And it is what it is. It's Hollywood. But it doesn't really, I don't want to talk about, I, I, let's talk about more pros and talk about the cons later. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so pros. Yeah, dude, the pacing, uh, like I said, the only reason this felt like two and a half hours is because I need to take a piss. But like like I said, other than that, the pacing was well done. Uh, I liked it. Um, I like I like seeing the trajectory of Elvis. I love that shot of when they're um they're on the uh, what do you call that thing uh, that goes all around. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about the wheel, the Wonder Wheel. Oh, the the Ferris, Ferris wheel. wheel. And I like how I like that one scene where um, Elvis kind of like. Uh, like seals his fate where uh Colonel Tom Parker's like, uh, are you ready to fly, Mr. Presley? He's like, Yeah, I'm ready to fly. And I like how they shake hands and from then on you could tell like I like how Baz Lerman sets the scene. He sets it as a as a mm-hmm. failed meeting of uh as Tom Hanks puts it later in the movie, uh two lonely kids looking for eternity. You know what I mean? Two lonely souls, two odd souls looking for eternity. Um and uh Going from then on, uh, I like the mo- I like the Hollywood montage. I like how when he first gets into the movies, he's on the bus and he's walking towards us with the camera, and we see all his bandmates, and you see their names flash up as he's talking about all the bad movies he did with his friends. Yeah, uh, I like that. I thought that was like this film, in all of its flashiness, is kind of a commentary on Hollywood a little bit. Oh, yeah, and how it abuses its stars and kind of makes them form into their own safe culture and everything. Because near the beginning, we see how he's very controversial, how people are like, oh, he's doing the demon's music. You know, he's, you know, tempting the minds of the youth. Uh, He's, you know, the segregation was a huge issue during the time that Elvis Presley was starting to come about in music. And with the fact that he played music like a black man, but he was allowed into white venues and everything was a huge problem, people, because it was seen as a way against segregation, which a lot of these venues, they wouldn't let black people into the venues, but then they'd have the white people coming and dancing to the music of Elvis Presley, which was heavily based around black culture and the musicians in it. So it's definitely... he wasn't a political force but he was thrown into a world where politics were always going to be surrounding him and what he did Mm -hmm. yeah oh man one of my favorite sequences do is when he's at the talent show uh i think it's when he first performs and i like how the the camera start keeps zooming in on his crouch as as, as, as he starts gyrating all the women have like internal orgasms all screaming like Ah! And this, 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 this is one uncomfortable scene, but I love how uncomfortable it was because it just, it's just adds to the film's like over the top flair where Tom Hanks is narrating a woman going through the orgasmic moments. And he's like, I saw a woman that felt things 
she didn't think she should be feeling at that moment. <laughs> I was like, this movie is so crazy. Yeah. I will say the slow kind of southern drawl Tom Hanks accent as he's, he's supposed like, to be southern. It was supposed to be kind of a southern drawl a little bit. Uh, he's Dutch, but it's it, <laughs> he's Dutch. He's not southern. Is he? He's Dutch. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's. I also love in that same scene where uh, Elvis actually like turns to one of his bandmates and goes, "Why are these girls all screaming like that? What's going on?" yeah man it, it was just it's, it's ridiculous and when you really think of something like that being controversial back then i'm like oh my mm. goodness <laughs> wait until these people find out about wop yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh don't worry that one threw a whole new wrench in uh, you, the plans of you know uh, you think you think this is bad oh man cut to cut to our well, music i even love uh well, even in the scene where it was like after he was told, you know, you so much as wiggle a finger, you're going to jail. And uh, he immediately gets on stage and just wiggles his finger before going into a full on uh, kind of just it, his past mm-hmm. self, because this is after they tried to change him into a new Elvis that's safer for families and, you know, not gyrating on stage and, you know. And I'm trying to remember, uh, I think it was B.B. King that he was talking to that was like, look, they're not going to throw a white man in jail. There's another reason why you're being held back and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, well, And we later find out the reason for that. Right, right, right. You're right. Um, I was going to talk about how, uh, what had happened? Uh, oh, after his mother passes. See... And I, I wouldn't expect a film like this to bring this kind of emotion out of me because everything is so over the top. And I, I, I'm not, frankly, I didn't take a lot of this movie seriously because I was just like, I was entertained mm-hmm. by it more than anything. But I, I, I like the acting chops Austin Butler pulled out when he's in his he's in his mom's closet grabbing her dress crying. Like that that was yeah. a sincerely sad moment where right? I felt bad for him. Like, like, man, he really loved, well, every man loves his mama, but he really loved his mama. You know, like, even though she was a lush, she was a lush that loved him and wanted the best for him. You know, um, I'm sure he loves his dad, too. But his dad is a little like, you know, kind of a pushover. He doesn't really know how to speak up a little bit uh, in in, in moments like where Tom Parker is trying to swindle everybody. His mom at least kind of went, well, well, wait a minute. Well, what does this mean? You know, like she. Yeah, maybe this isn't what's best for right. you. She really did have Elvis's best intentions at heart, and kind of saw behind the veil of you know, look at all this money we can make. Uh, his father kind of fell for that mm-hmm. though, with the uh, you know, look at what we can do, what look what we can become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I like that moment where Tom Parker, uh, the Colonel. He goes in there. He says, "Hey, you know your your father needs you. You you know you should go to him." And he's, um, you know, Elvis is crying like, "Man, I can't. I, I don't want to see anybody. Like I miss my mama." I, I felt sad for him, man, because it showed he was still a little boy. You know what I mean? At that moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, he goes through a travesty, and of course, you have Colonel Tom Parker. That's he doesn't care about Elvis at all. All he sees is dollar signs. So he's like, you got to go out there. You got to, you know, get in front of the press, take some photos with your father, and then they'll all go away. That's all you got to do. And he, he doesn't have Elvis's, you know, best interest in heart. 
he would have had the press leave if that were the case. But instead, he's like, no, you got to go out and do this. Show that you're compassionate. We got to use this to our advantage, you know. Even though your mom died, we can use this to, you know, get something. You think he never cared about him? I think that... Not really. I don't think he never cared about him, but I think he did use him for sure. But I don't think it was a thing where he never cared. I, I think it was... It definitely wasn't like a friendship caring Mm -hmm. or anything like that. It was definitely a, I care about you because you have a benefit to my life. Not so much a, hey, I care about your well-being. The only, because if he cared about his well-being, he wouldn't have let the drugs thing happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would have been, you know, more attentive to him and his family dealings and everything like that. Because Elvis has a uh, wife and kid and... Basically, Tom Parker sees that as a hindrance to his career because it's going to cause him to not be able to work as much or do as much because he's going to have his family in heart and motion. So I don't think he had Elvis's best interest at heart at all. He had his best interest at heart in order to make more money. And even though he comes out and like says... You know, I put so much money into you, so much effort. I did all this for you. He was doing that for himself. It, let's be honest. He did not care about Elvis. And there's a lot of people that think that, you know, he was the best thing to happen to Elvis. But at the same time, yeah, he brought Elvis into the starlight. But there were so many chances that Elvis had to get out of his grasp. And he could have kept mm-hmm. going without him. Uh, he did a good thing in bringing Elvis to the spotlight, but once he started trying to change him in order to save his own ass, that's when their career should have, you know, diverted at that point. Yeah, because, um, but before we get to Las Vegas, uh, I wanted to talk about, you know what I thought was interesting? I just think it's an interesting kind of like segue in the plot. I like how when he's constructing the Christmas special with the two producers, and I like how the film goes in an interesting direction where, you know, Elvis is, he, he, he's, he's, these guys are giving him an avenue um, in order for him to kind of go back to the old Elvis. You know what I mean? They're giving him a mm-hmm. live set stage where he can perform live and things of that nature. And I like how when it, uh, it cuts it to him making the, the, the I, I guess the song for um, the civil rights uh, uh, struggle. The civil rights uh, protests that were happening back then where he makes a song live on TV speaking out uh, uh, for it. Um, And I like how that goes, like, like, I guess back then, viral or uh, popular. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the thing that everybody was talking. Right. I thought that was an interesting uh, segue in the plot. Like, I like how they they focused on that, how um, he kind of used TV in order to uh, see if he can get his old mojo back, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that uh, the entire time you have Tom Hanks' character just running around. No, you're gonna sing "Here Comes Santa Claus." Right. I like. Just, Go ahead. Yeah, it even has like the producers like come back and it's like, no, you're gonna sell. I think it was like a sewing machine or something like that. And it's like, no, no, he is definitely going to want one. So is the wife. You know, they're going to use it to make all kinds of Christmas sweaters. You know, right after he sings, here comes Santa Claus. See, it's very Christmassy. And then it just does the pan of the camera back behind to show that there's a whole second set made for his political song. Mm -hmm. 
that uh, he had written the day before. I like um, <laughs> another funny scene from that. I like when he's walking the uh, the, the people who control whether. Um, so what were those people? Were they like with the Nielsen ratings or like with the people who he was sitting down with? Were they, were they the people that um, like owned the network? Who were they again? The people that Tom Parker was yeah. sitting with? I, I think those were just like people that worked for the television network. Okay. And they had like signed a deal that Elvis would do a Christmas special. So when he didn't sing any songs about Christmas, that's when he was like, this isn't a Christmas special at all. I paid for a Christmas special. You're going to have a lawsuit on your hands. I like when he's first walking him in there. He goes, uh, yeah, what the, what's, what's that one Christmas song? Uh, uh, drummer, drummer, the little drummer boy. Yeah, he'll sing that. He'll sing that. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, this guy had it all figured out, man. The moment he first laid his hands on Elvis, he had remember the merch to the merch oh yeah i i love that scene and it's like perfect marketing that even companies and you know different artist labels do today with uh you know you gotta play both sides we have an i love elvis pin and an i hate elvis pin because guess what they might hate him but we're still gonna make money off of it. right no no uh no popularity is bad popularity right i love that yeah, I want to say that uh, Justin Bieber's like marketing team did the same thing. Like a lot of the I hate Justin Bieber stuff and everything that was out around that time was actually merch from the same company uh, that did all the his merchandise. Dude, you know the story I love, uh, the T-Pain story. T-Pain found out there was a website called I Hate T-Pain. This man, this man mm-hmm. bought the domain and all the attention that went to that website and all the, the, the network, the networking that... All the stuff that came to that website came to him. He got paid off a website that was supposed to be anti him. Right, I thought yeah, that was. I absolutely. Yeah. One thing, just because you brought up T Pain, that uh, I found interesting is he recently was speaking about uh, his Twitch career and everything, like playing games and doing like live music and stuff on Twitch. Mm. And he said he's made more on Twitch in just the last couple of years than he made in his entire music career previously. Uh, no. No, he made millions in the industry. It, he he's apparently making more off Twitch now. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Which I don't know if that says about the music industry prior to this, or if it says how much now. Twitch people are making. Uh yeah, that's, that says a lot actually. Wow. Okay, that's something to consider. Hey, you want to move DFV to Twitch? Yeah, we're gonna do live streams of us just. Just a screen showing us eating popcorn, watching movies, and going, <laughs> that's a good part. Because <laughs> we can't show the movie. We can't show the movie. We can show the trailer just like 50 times as we're talking. Like, oh, right. oh, yeah, they put that. Wait, I got to wait for that scene to pop up real quick. Okay, yeah, that three-second scene right there. Yeah, that was a great scene. That would be fun. Uh, Listen, I love the whole um, the climax in Vegas because it's, 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 it's a perfect, tragic final act. Because you can tell the one thing Elvis wants to do is just perform in front of an audience and just dazzle them. That's what he loves to mm-hmm. do. And he's doing that, but he's he's sucked into a long contract that he's not even aware of uh, because um, his colonel tells him, like, yes, yes, you know, we'll, we'll do a few shows here, then finally go overseas as you want. You know, like, we'll, we'll perform overseas. I'm telling you, we just have to do stuff here. 
and finally he realizes in kind of like a drunken uh, performance that uh, you don't even have a visa. Uh, you're not even a citizen of this country, you you sum up a B. And, you know, he, he kind of like, like goes off on him. Um, dude, I love that dude because it's just, it's just the perfect, uh, it, it's the perfect doomed final act for both of them. You know, mm-hmm. he's right back at the place where he got ran out of for gambling, you know, the colonel. And Elvis is right at the place where he always wanted to be, but he's stuck there pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, he finally attained his dream of, you know, getting to do his music his way, but he's trapped in this eternal loop of not being able to go anywhere and do anything. And I did find it interesting that uh, the first, like, live broadcast kind of concert and everything uh, was Elvis. And not only that, but it's still the largest live broadcast concert to ever be held. Really? Mm, yeah, I didn't know that. But that's what the movie said, at least. At like 1.56 billion people tuning into it. Hmm. Which I can't think of any other band or anything like by today's standards that has done anything like that that would hit anywhere near those numbers. Because you got to keep in mind, Elvis never toured internationally. So every country was tuning into an Elvis concert for the first time through this live broadcast. Hmm. That's interesting. That's 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 very, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, man, I love that, and and I even like the uh, I like the whole trajectory between um, you know, now him and his wife are divorced. I like how he uh he he, uh, he says goodbye to his daughter Lisa Marie, and uh, tells his wife like um, you know, like when I'm gone, nobody's gonna even remember me. I'm a sham. Uh, I can't. I, I can't honestly think he would believe that. I think that's the movie. Elvis had to know he was popular. I, I, if I recall correctly, there were a couple things on like the books of his life that mentioned that he didn't actually think he was as big as he was. Where really? he did kind of see himself as a washed out celebrity, uh, because like I, he only played the one venue. So he would see a lot of the same people in those crowds because those were commoners for the casino and stuff like that. And in Las Vegas, they give passes away for free to people that live there because they want the stadium filled. So it became a mix of that and being able to not go anywhere and feeling like he couldn't do anything that made him feel like maybe he wasn't as big as he really was. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I like how it shows him uh, going off in his plane, kind of, kind of like a bird in the sky. As I think he says in one of his, uh, in, in, in one of his words to um, Priscilla, uh, going to the rock of eternity. There it is, what he said to Priscilla in the car. Um, and I like how it cuts to him, and you see, you you see kind of footage of Austin Butler as kind of like a, like kind of like a fat. Uh, older Elvis mixed with the real Elvis mm-hmm. at that age and they're singing Unchained Melody and I thought man that's just such a beautiful sequence you know because you, you see you know he's a little tired you know he's he's a little washed up but you see him he's still got that voice he's still got that that uh that performance uh value in him as the women are clapping going yeah Elvis and you know um he kind of he yeah, even on his last show, he gave it his right. all. He gave the full Elvis, uh, you know, performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we go from that, and we go from uh, 
you know, uh, Colonel Parker passing away. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, uh, I feel like overall I set up a great climax. Uh, the film, the film, mm-hmm. the film, uh, paces itself very well throughout everything. Only two things I got that I feel like the film, I understand it's a celebration of Elvis. So you're not going to hold his feet to the fire as much as you should, like they did with Ray. They, they celebrated Ray, mm-hmm. but they held his feet to the fire on some things. One thing is like, I like how they pay homage to the African-American artists that he sang cover, covers of their songs for. When in reality, it was kind of, it was kind of theft because the, the credit wasn't really given where it was due in most cases. But I like how mm-hmm. there is a, a wink and a nod to the African-American artists that inspired Elvis. You know what I mean? Yeah, they definitely they push it more as an inspiration when it it was basically straight theft from yeah. them. Uh, but they do at least acknowledge that you know things like Hound Dog he didn't write he kind of just took that from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then you have I'm trying to remember some of the other ones that they showed in the movie, but yeah, it it wasn't so much inspirational as people think as it was plain theft. Yeah, there's that and uh. Priscilla was a kid, dude. When they first met, she was a kid. Uh, you're talking about his yeah, wife? Yeah, yeah, When they met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that... So, Go ahead. Yeah, there's, there's that. Uh, they also very lightly glossed over his drug addictions and everything like that. Like, I, I feel there like- were negative things in his life that they kind of mentioned but they didn't go fully into because yeah, this was a celebration of Elvis, but at the same time, I don't hold that against the movie because it did at the very least acknowledge those things. Eh, halfway. I mean, the drug addiction, I think it acknowledged it. Well, it acknowledged it well that he was on the stuff. Like there's even a fight between him and Priscilla where Priscilla is like, I don't care about those women. You sleep on the road. I'm talking about your drugs. Like, like it, it, it hit it pretty hard. The, to the fact that they wow. got a divorce uh, in the realm of the movie for that reason. Uh, so I, I, I don't think... I, I don't hold it against the movie too much, but I go... I mean... You're nitpicking. Am I? Am I, though? Because this isn't a hummingbird situation. <laughs> they keep going back to the African-American artist that he, that he stole from, in a way, going, oh, see, he was paying homage. It was like... That's not homage, but okay. I, I don't think that they it was the movie was going, oh look, it it's cute. He was taking their lyrics and singing them exactly the same. That's it exactly, was kind of showing That's that exactly what it he, was doing. Like uh, Well, it gave it showed that where he got the lyrics from and everything like no, that. No, no, yeah, it wasn't of course, kind of like, being yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't going, oh, no, he was just inspired by black musicians and everything. You see them singing it and then him singing it and going back and forth and showing this was black music that he stole and was re-singing. And because of him and, you know, the culture at the time and him being white, it took off with him versus the actual people that came up with that music. Of course, of course. Uh, I might be. This might be the Anthony nitpicking section of the show. I don't know. That one, I think, is a nitpick because I think it 
played with that well and showing exactly why it took off with him because the movie does not kind of stray away from like the racial tension that was going on around that time. It, it takes it head on and it runs with it. And it does the same with those scenes where it's going back and forth between him singing and the original artist singing it and showing that it was really not his music, but because of the position he was in, it became popular and it became his music mm-hmm. as a result. So it, in a way it, it did show that he did completely steal credit from, you know, black musicians and everything like that and showed how he came to power with that kind of music without giving it any credit because none of those people are credited at all with any of that music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got you. Um, did you know that Baz Luhrmann is credited twice on, on the writing credit? I was so confused when I, I saw that. Yeah, he is. The reason for it is he was one part of a writing duo with Sam Bromell and the other with him and Craig Pierce. But I was like, I've never seen a, a screenwriting credit where the person's name is written twice. Like that was yeah even on the wikipedia it's directed by screenplay by story by and produced by he's he's a credit for all three four of the those. story and screenplay thing is common but i was talking about like it actually says in at the end of the film screenplay by baz Luhrmann and sam bramel and braz Luhrmann and craig pierce and jeremy donner i was like does baz have a twin brother or something that's also named baz but then i realized no they actually listed him twice it's, it must yeah. be a WGA thing. I didn't catch that. It's probably a Writer's Guild thing, is why they got it like that. Yeah, it has to be a crediting kind of thing of, you know, he wrote it with this person, and then he also wrote it with these people, so it had to be credited as groups instead of all together for some kind of, you know... it. It's the same as, like, poster billings and everybody's name on the poster and the order they're in and stuff like that. It has to be something like that. Uh, I don't think Baz is so full of himself. He's just throwing himself in the credits as much as possible. No, I didn't think it was that. Because uh, uh, I'd be like, oh, somebody in the intern department is getting fired. So, so, <laughs> somebody in the credit department is getting fired for that. <laughs> somebody made a mistake. It's kind of like when they put a typo of somebody's name in the credits and it's like one of the big actors or something. And just like, ooh, someone's going to be in trouble. Right, right. Uh, look, man, it's loud. It's over the top. It's beautiful. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Um, it's Elvis, dude. I give it a 4.5. I really like this. Uh, yeah, this one, I, I really can't think of any problems with it. Uh, it it's a 5 out of 5. It was a fun it was movie. A five to you? It, yeah, it set out wow. to do what it was doing, and I think it knocked it out of the park. Uh, the acting on this one, like Austin Butler as Elvis is just... He fits. He fits. I, it, it's too perfect. It If you told me that they literally resurrected Elvis to play himself in this movie, I'd be like, yeah, I believe it. it 100%. Yeah, he fits. He, he, he's a pretty great Elvis. Um, from what I heard, he beat out a lot of people like Harry Styles, Miles Teller. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson gave it gave it a go. Um but I, I think they made the great. I think they made the right choice. He was the perfect choice that yeah. this is not like it. it I don't even care of like seeing like the test screen footage of anybody else that, uh, you know, audition because they found the perfect person for it's it. It's not hard to be Elvis though, but it, it, you gotta have that. You gotta have that it factor about you. I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's the swagger. It's the charisma. 
It's the moves. Well, yeah, anyone can do the moves, but it's like, mm. you know, Austin just had it, man. He had the screen charisma for this. Yeah, he played Elvis without it coming off silly right. because a lot of what Elvis is is very silly. Yeah. And he played the role seriously and it came off correct. Mm-hmm. You think? But yeah, I, I think this one, it's a five out of five. It's I, I can't think of any problems that I had with this movie overall. Do you see Oscar Nobs in his future? Um, In Austin? Yeah. Oh, if he can knock rolls out like this one. No, I mean for know, this on movie. a regular. Oh, for this movie, hmm. maybe. I see it. I see it. I mean, it it doesn't come off as. <sighs> I can see how somebody looks at the trailer and calls it Oscar bait because it's Elvis, but and it's a biopic. But uh, I could see it. I could see some noms. I I can definitely see it happening, but I don't know. It's. It's in that weird gap where it, this might be too under the radar in terms of like a biopic and everything because it's not very Oscar Beatty. This movie for the movie. This itself. movie's been promoted uh, like like a lot. Has it on YouTube? Oh, maybe I'm just missing. I use AdBlock on YouTube, so I've I've been missing the marketing for this movie on social media. I've I've se- I've seen a lot of advertisement for this movie. Okay, so I must be just missing it. I'm just walking around with my hands over my eyes, just going, I see nothing. But, yeah. Well, well look, man, I know where I stand. Uh, I, I put Ray over this. What 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 wins out to you? I, I put Ray over this okay, still. Okay, okay. Uh, Ray definitely has a better capture of his life and everything. The, Elvis, I give it a 5 out of 5 because it's a super entertaining yeah. movie. It's a real easy one to watch. Uh, it's long, but at the same time, it doesn't feel long. It, it knocks everything out of the park. And Ray does the same, but Ray is just that little bit better in terms of what it, the story it's trying to tell. It's more is. poignant. Because, yeah, because Elvis is a very biased side of the story mm-hmm. that it's telling and everything because it is a celebration of him. It's not trying to get into the nitty gritty of Elvis. It's trying to be here was Elvis, here's why he was so loved, and here's what he went through to get there. Uh, With Ray, it's more about here was his life, here's what he went through, here's how he got to where he was, and here's how he fell and kept getting back up again. You know, this kind of makes me want to uh, uh, watch more of Larman's work, man, because I've only seen Romeo and Juliet, but this makes me want to watch The Great Gatsby with Leo. I, I avoided that movie. Uh, Moulin Rouge, uh, the Get Down, which was already on my list. I want to. I, I want to see some more Larman, man, Lerman, man, because he might actually make me like musicals. We definitely have to do one for the Great Gatsby, because yeah, I didn't realize that you've never seen that movie. Uh, I've read the book. You know, everyone in high school's read the okay. book. I, uh, I was gonna say, I think that that just confirms that you went to a high school in the United States. Right, right. But no, I never saw that movie because it just looked a little too flashy to me. But uh, he does flashy well. I'll say that about this guy. He does flashy really well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, all right. Um, hey, man, uh, you seen any other movies lately? Um, Not movies. I did binge through all of season three of The Umbrella Academy. They're released. It's a new one, right? Uh, yeah, oh, okay. so that just released last Wednesday, and 
man, I can't wait the next two years for us to get season four now. <laughs> mm. Okay. Yeah, I always heard that was uh, good. I just uh, haven't watched it yet or read the book. Uh, the show is completely different than the comics. It's more or less two entirely different stories that follow characters with the same names. Which do you like better? Uh, the comics are a lot more action-focused, while the show is a lot more like family drama-focused. Hmm. Uh, they both have their benefits and everything. It's hard to pick between the two on like which is better, though. Because okay. the comics kind of just... They skip all the backstory and everything, and they jump right into the action part. Which it leaves you going, well, what about this and this? So there's a lot of questions with the comics. Uh, the show doesn't have as much action, but at the same time, it builds a much better story. Okay, okay, I got you. Uh, yeah, I heard The Boys Season 3 is out, and I, man, I still gotta finish Season 1. But uh, I heard people like Season 3. I heard they got to the Herogasm arc, which a lot of people talk mm. about. Uh Oh, guess what I just got advanced tickets for? Oh, which one? Boom, boom, boom. Nope. Boom, boom, boom. Nope. <laughs> nope. I got I got advanced tickets when, for Nope. When's that one? Uh, July 14th. Okay. Yeah. I, I got to keep watch for screenings here because I don't think I, any have popped up yet. Okay. Yeah, I just, I just, I just looked one day and it, it was just available. I was like, oh, okay, I'll get that. Um, I know Thor is out there. Um, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably late to the party now, but uh, I'm probably, I probably, we might check that out that weekend, maybe. I, I plan to see that one opening day. Uh, I haven't been watching for screening. The problem with screenings they don't now let you is know. because. Well, they let you know like a couple days in advance, and then it's also you have to get there like for that one single showing. There's no kind of being able to have the freedom of going, oh, no, I want to see. I don't have availability that day, so I'll go the following day at like a 4 p.m. showing or something like that. Wait, oh, you mean advanced screenings? Yeah, advanced Oh, screenings. yeah, yeah, no, that's what I was talking about. I was talking about with AMC, like, 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 like I got an advanced screening ticket on AMC for Nope. Oh, oh! I didn't know that that one had uh, advanced screening showings for it. Is it a part of like the? I'm saying uh, the, what is it? Investors? I'm sorry, thing? I'm saying the wrong term. I'm saying advanced. I meant to say I pre-ordered my tickets. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, <laughs> I. Well, that one comes out July 22nd. So if you have one for the 14th, then that's. Uh, wait a minute. That's a uh, early Hold screening. On, wait a minute. July 21st. My bad. I don't know where I got for July twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I kept saying advance. I could tell you got it. I could tell you got it confused. No, no, no. I pre-ordered it. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I have my tickets for that one too. Nice, nice. You got uh, what you doing? IMAX. I'm doing Dolby. I, I'm doing Dolby for that one. Uh, when it comes to movies, Dolby is the first one. If for some reason I can't see it in Dolby, then I might see it in IMAX, and then. Lastly, I'll see it in whatever theater's playing it. I think when it comes to IMAX and AMC, depending on which one you go to, I call it LIMAX. It's really just a big screen. It's not really IMAX. Yeah. It's it's a big screen, and they just put the base on Max. Right. It's base Max. That's exactly what it is. It's base Max, not IMAX. Yeah. 
Yeah, when uh, that's why I like Dolby Cinema because it's actually a better projector screen. It's actually you know a better audio system and stuff like that. Because yeah, most IMAX showings aren't actual IMAX. It's just a bigger screen. And yes, the projector is still on. I still hate that seeing so much. It, Whenever that comes on, it's still like yeah, yeah. The projector. I know that would be dumb if you turned it off now. The movie's about to start. <laughs> You know, um, I took my wife uh, to see B- the Bob's Burgers movie. Uh, oh, did she enjoy it? She, uh, well, funny story. So, you know, the first time I saw it, I was by myself. This time it was with her. Um, she's been watching mm-hmm. the show a little bit more because she likes the show. She says, oh, man, I really want to see the movie. I'm like, let's just go see it. So we went to see it. Movie starts off and, uh, you know, they start singing. She goes, is this a musical? I was like, it's like four or five songs. She goes, I wasn't mentally prepared for this. <laughs> and, you know, like, like, like from that point on, you know, and it's not, they don't sing the whole movie as you and I know. We've talked about it. But, right, you know, yeah. it, like that opening song just kind of turned her off. Like, oh gosh, just singing. Like, like we went at 10 in the morning. So she wasn't like fully awake. <laughs> She's like, so she wasn't ready for a musical. <laughs> right, right. She likes musicals, uh, unlike me. But uh, she was like, you know, you, you go see something in the morning. She's like, ah, oh, man, it's like I'm going to watch a cartoon in the theater. She was getting excited. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's that's what this is. <laughs> you know, and they start singing. She goes, oh, gosh, how long does this take? And now you believe me when I say that's not how the show normally is. <laughs> I wasn't walking you into a trap. I promise. I didn't. know. Oh yeah, I've been I've been uh, shadow watching the episodes with her while I'm at work. I I know that they don't they don't sing okay. that often. But um, I gotta say, man, watching it the second time around, I thought it was more funny this time. Yeah, really? I thought it was more funnier than I originally thought. Like, uh, I started mimicking my man that I talked about when I went the first time. I started singing the songs, and you know, my wife was acting like she wasn't with me. Like, I I, I liked it this right. time. I was having a fun time. You you walked out of the theater. She was signing divorce papers, just going, I don't know why. <laughs> this is clearly a mistake. No, I didn't go that far, but uh, she uh. I, I, she she kind of liked it for the most part, but it just it wasn't what she expected it to be. I, I can say it wasn't what I expected that movie to be, but I still absolutely had a blast watching it. Still, mm-hmm. yeah, you, I, I caught on to some jokes that I didn't catch on to beforehand. Um, you know what, man? I, I honestly feel like that guy I saw in that theater. He might have saw an earlier showing and then went to that one later that night with his friends. Because I don't know, I. I like he was in the he was ready for it he was in the zone ready for the songs and everything. i think so man i don't know if i heard him singing it but he was definitely like i don't know maybe maybe he was just excited but uh i, I kind of caught that bug when i saw it the second time you know like i i, I liked mm-hmm. it I, I liked it yeah uh all right man that's it for me uh all right folks uh like share subscribe let us know what you think. What what movie do you think is better out of this matchup? Uh, do you like Ray better? Do you give Elvis the edge? Let us know what you think of Austin Butler's performance. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, take care. <laughs>